reckless love of God, the love of God that chases you down. The Hebrews called it hesed, the love that pursued after you, the love that chased after you, that chased you down. The, the Greeks, they called it agape, a love that would pursue after you regardless of what you've done, regardless of what's happened in your life. The love of God will recklessly pursue after you. And I give them praise because there's no mountain he won't climb, no wall he won't tear down, coming after us. He's a good God. He's a good, good God. I love that we sang that simple chorus, that God is good, so, so good. We give God praise. My name is Pastor Derek Parks. I have the privilege of serving as the lead pastor here at Epiphany Church of Wilmington, and it's my privilege and honor to stand before you today and to welcome you uh, to the house of the Lord today. Uh, to our visitors, we say welcome. Uh, we're so glad that you joined us. We're so happy that you're here. Um, if there's anything we can do to make your visit with us uh, more uh, accommodating, please don't hesitate to let us know. So um, anybody excited about the word of God today. I mean, I don't know about you, but the word of God sustains me. I mean, it's in, in the midst of, of, of hell breaking loose all around you. It's the word of God that will sustain you in the midst of the craziness of this world. So I'm thankful for the word. I mean, I'm encouraged today uh, to be able to share the word of God with you. I don't take it lightly any time that I get to stand at this Sacred deaths, not sacred because it's uh, steel and we purchased it, but it's sacred because uh, people have been proclaiming the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ from pulpits all across the world to proclaim the excellencies of our God and the glory of his great name. So this death is sacred. I don't take it lightly anytime I get to stand before you to proclaim the word of God as a herald for him. So uh, I'm going to jump right in. We're continuing in our series called Making History, and we are, we're almost done um, this portion of it, and we're going to jump into something else in two weeks. So join me, if you will, in Colossians chapter 1. I've got three verses today, 21 through 23. If you have it, turn there in your Bible. If you don't, we'll have it up on the screen. And I want to tag this text today as once upon a time. Once upon a time. Y'all act like y'all never heard a fairy tale before. <laughs> y'all all know that phrase, once upon a time. So uh, I'm going to uh, trek through this uh, from this idea 
once upon a time. Join me in Colossians chapter 1, verse 21 through 23. Hear these words of our God and our Father. He says, once you were alienated and hostile in your minds, expressed in your evil actions, but now. Somebody say, but now. He has reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him. If indeed you remain, somebody say remain. If indeed you remain grounded and steadfast in the faith and are not shifted away from the hope of the gospel that you heard. This gospel has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and I, Paul, have become a servant of it. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, your word is sharper than any two-edged sword, Father, severing the marrow from the bone, God. And I pray that this word would get deep down into the marrow of our souls, Father. When we hear this word, we wouldn't sit quiet, but we would respond by saying, Lord, help us to obey, Father. And I pray, Lord, that your word would sweep over this place, God. I pray that your word would sweep over our hearts, that we would be drenched in your word, Father, so that as we go out to live lives that seek to glorify you, as we go out to live lives that seek to make history uh, uh, your history in this world and in the city God may your word ever guide us may your word ever lead us may your word ever direct us God and I pray Lord that as I stand here Lord that you would stand in my body and that you would think through my mind and that you would speak through my mouth and Lord I pray that the words of my mouth and meditations of my heart will be acceptable in your sight my Lord my strength and my redeemer in whom I trust in Jesus mighty name I pray and the whole church said Amen. If you had a bank account, if you had a bank that credited your account each morning, $86,000, that'd be something. And it carried no balance from day to day, but each day that $86,000 was renewed in your bank account. But it allowed you not to keep, you weren't allowed to keep any of that cash in your account, but every single night, whatever part of that amount you didn't use was canceled, but it was renewed the very next day. What would you do with all of that money? How would you spend it? Would you draw out every cent every single day and use it to your advantage? Of course you would. I would. I wouldn't keep no money in that bank. <laughs> well, you have such a bank, and it's called time. Every morning it credits 86,400 seconds into your account. And every night it rules off whatever has been lost as a failed investment it carries over no balance it allows no overdrafts each day it opens a new account for you and if you fail to use the day's deposit the loss is yours 
There's no going back. There's no drawing against it. There's no making another deposit. If you fail to use the day's deposit, the loss is yours. And I want to submit this idea to us today. If we are going to make history, then we need to know what time it is. If we are going to make history, then we need to know that our time on this earth is limited and God has given us a limited amount of time to use. And he wants us to use that time wisely. And as you know what time it is, Kumo Dihi had a song called, Do You Know What Time It Is? Y'all don't, uh, and y'all don't remember that. Uh. He had a song called, Do You Know What Time It Is? But I want to submit this to us. That if we're going to know what time it is, we better know that we live in hostile times. We live in hostile times. And that hostility is not just in the world around us, but that hostility is on the inside of us. Join me here as Paul says, once you were alienated and hostile in your minds. See, last week we explored Paul's praise break on the centrality of Christ. He told us that everything that was ever created was created by him who is the image of the invisible God in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. So now Paul, he's pointing us to the reality of what we once were before we obtained that redemption through Christ. See, Paul, he he starts off by saying once or formerly you were. See, if if you're going to make history, it's important for you to remember where you come from. In times past, you were something else. And if we're all honest in here, if we look back and think back on what we formerly were, we'll realize that we were a doozy. You had an attitude that was cold enough to start another ice age. Your mouth was smart enough to educate all the children in Wilmington. And see, when you think back and when you think back when, uh, you ought to rejoice for the redemption that has been purchased for you through Jesus Christ. You see, Paul here, he tells us that the way that we once were caused us to be alienated from God. See, Paul is arguing that before our redemption, we were shut off from the fellowship and intimacy that was found only in Christ. But deeper than that, Paul is saying here, he's saying that we were hostile towards the fellowship and intimacy that was in Christ. See, we we find much of that in our culture today. We we find much of that in our culture today. and, And you often find people being adversarial towards the things of God. There are many accusations being leveled against the things of God. There are many accusations being leveled against the church. People have everything to say as it relates to the church. Everybody's got an opinion about the church. And there are many expectations laid upon the church of Jesus Christ that aren't laid upon any other institution that exists in the world. We have so many expectations about the church. The church ought to be this. The church ought to be that. The church ought to do this. The church ought to do that. But even more devious than that, it's difficult to hear the way people speak about their hatred of the things of God. But but more than that, 
it's the manner in which the church displays its hatred for the things of God. Sometimes it's through overt displays like I like Jesus, but I don't like the church. What a moronic statement. As if you could love Jesus and not love his bride. But the majority of the time, this is displayed with subtlety. See, we, we nickel and dime the things of God. We nickel and dime God of our time. We nickel and dime God of our talents. We, we penny pinch with God when it comes to our treasures. We say, I, I don't have time for that today. We even try to personalize it and say, you know, Jesus, he, Jesus just knows how busy I am. That's why I can't make it out today. That's why I can't do anything today. We, we even go further and say, Jesus, you know, Jesus knows how long it's been since I've had some me time. So I can't make it to serve the people who are less out, the, who are, who are further down than me and who are, uh, who are worse off than me. I can't make it out to serve them because Jesus knows I haven't had any me time lately. That's why Paul says this. He says that you were hostile in your minds. The problem is in our minds. Listen to these words of Jesus here and Mark as, as they present to us a staunch divergence from the mentality that we hold about life in Christ. Mark chapter 3 verse 31, Jesus says, the passage says that his mother and his brothers came and standing outside, they sent word to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him and told him, they said, look, your mother and your brothers and your sisters are outside asking for you. Jesus' reply is a staunch divergence from how we live our lives and how we think about the Christian life. He turns to them and he replies, he says, who are my mother and my brothers? Then he looked at them who were sitting around him and he said to them, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and my sister and my mother. This is difficult for us to, to, to see, but this is the word of God. I want us to see this. I want this to be laid out for us here. Mark chapter 10, uh, Peter, uh, in verse 28, Peter began to tell Jesus, he says, look, we've left everything and followed you. Sound familiar? God, I, I, I've just, I've just given up everything. I've given up all that I got. Jesus turns to him and says, truly, I say to you, there is not one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for my sake and for the sake of what? The gospel. Who will not receive a hundred times more now at this time. Houses, brothers and sisters and mothers and children and fields. Let's catch this, though, with persecutions. 
See, we want to skip over that part. We want God to give us a hundredfold here in this life uh, because of what we've given up. God, you know, I, I, listen, on Wednesday night, God, I went to Bible study, and you know I had homework to do. Uh, I could have been getting that homework done. Instead, I went to Bible study. So, Jesus, you got to make sure that I get an A-plus in this class, uh, but you don't have to deal with any of the stuff that comes along with getting an A in the class. So here's what the problem is. For many of us, We don't understand. In fact, this word here for mind, this word means our imaginations. So we can't even imagine a world where those things that Jesus says here are true. We can't even imagine a world where that is true. But I submit this to us today, that life in Christ calls us to a radical reprioritization of our lives. It's quiet, but it's right. The majority of us can't imagine a world where Christ and his bride, uh, the church, are, are more important than our families. We can hardly imagine a world where Christ and his bride are more important than our careers. We can hardly imagine a world where Christ and his church are more important than our comfort. See, for most of us, securing the bag is our top priority. For those who don't know what I'm talking about, securing the bag means getting money. All right? Got to get that bag. Or as Michael would say, that chicken. Got to get the chicken. For most of us, stabilizing our comfort zone is our top priority. We tend to think that mama is more important than the Messiah. But the scripture shows us that Jesus displayed the proper prioritization of our lives through placing his own mama on pause so that he could prioritize the kingdom of God to his disciples. And if you are going to make history, if we are going to make history as a church, then we must radically reprioritize our lives. This ain't a hallelujah word today. This is a tough word, but it's got to be taught. Listen, this radical reprioritization of our lives starts in our mind, but it must have an outward expression. Paul says, look, you used to be alienated from God and hostile in your minds, and it was expressed outwardly through your actions. See, Paul knows that we were once bad natured. In fact, Paul tells us in the book of Romans that not one of us does good. Our actions are diseased and our actions are blind. Here's what that word means. It means that evil means to be diseased and blind. So we can't make history because we don't properly see. We think that what, God, that what, what, what we do with our hands is what matters to God. But God says that what we do with our hearts is what matters to him. We can toil and labor all we like. But if our heart is not radically reprioritized, we will never make history because we won't know what time it is. Paul says here. 
that there was a time when you were once hostile in your minds, but now God is calling you to holy times. Verse 22, Paul says, but now. Anytime you see that in the text, you ought to get excited. Paul says here, but now. This text is tailored to teach us that at this very moment in time, we have everything that God wants us to have if we are in Christ. You see, here's the main thing that he wants us. This is the main thing that he wants for us. He wants us to be reconciled to him. And if we're going to know what time it is, then we need to know that reconciliation was God's plan. Not the Drake song. He took too many L's this week. Y'all can't be supporting that. See, see, Drake, he, <laughs> Drake won't say his son's name, but God has given his son a name that is above every name. See, reconciliation was God's plan, and he's going to use his son to accomplish it. Unlike Drake, God's not a deadbeat daddy, but instead he would let his son get beat dead so that we could have the privilege to call him daddy. I wish I had a church who knew that God's plan was for us to be reconciled to him so that we could be in him and now we can call him Abba Father. That means daddy in the Greek. It just means daddy. He wants us to be able to call him daddy. See, the passage says that he reconciled us by his physical body. Recognize that his physical body was subject to suffering. But his spiritual would subject suffering for all eternity. See, I'm talking about the one whose body provided a covering for us. I'm talking about the one who would cover all of our sins and he would do it. How? Through his death, the passage tells us. The Greek word here for death is where we get our English word thanatology. Y'all don't know what that word means. Y'all wasn't going to say nothing either. Thanatology is the study of death. Let me drive down your street real real quick. Anybody seen the Avengers Infinity War yet? Sorry if you didn't see it. I'm about to spoil it for you. Go outside. (laughs) See, if you saw it, then you know where I'm about to go. In Avengers Infinity War, there's a complex supervillain by the name of Thanos. The Greek word is for death is Thanatos, where we get the English word Thanatology, study of death. Y'all tracking with me? But this supervillain Thanos, he had what was called the deviant gene, which means he was preoccupied with death. Isn't that just like us before we were in Christ? 
all of our actions led to death. Everything we did was heading us straight to the grave. We were headed to death. We were preoccupied by death. Uh, We were just like Thanos. We had a deviant gene called sin on the inside of us. I don't want to get ahead of myself. Pull it back. So listen, Thanos, he was preoccupied with death, both literally and physically. He was in love with death, if you follow the comics. The mistress of death, he was in love with her. Well, long story short, so I don't ruin the whole thing for those who haven't seen it, is that Thanos collects these five stones. And when he collects these five stones, he snaps his finger and annihilates half of, the, of humanity randomly from the face of the earth. So why do I bring that up? I brought it up because I wanted you to see Thanos, Thanos' preoccupation with death, because his name means death. And how it led to the destruction of humanity. However, there was another one who was preoccupied with death. And his name means salvation. This Jesus was preoccupied with the cross. He came down to the earth for the sole purpose to die. He had a preoccupation with death that rivaled Thanos. And, 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 and see, he had five stones too, but he placed those five stones in the hands of a young boy who would one day conquer a giant. And, and, and see, the same one, he helps us to conquer the giants inside of our life. But, but more than that, he didn't come to bring destruction to the world. He came to bring peace. In fact, you know what? He don't need no stilly stones to help him accomplish the feat that he was trying to accomplish because he says, listen, I am the chief cornerstone. I don't need no infinity stone. I am the chief cornerstone. And as the chief cornerstone, it is his job to present us faultless. See, the way that Christ presents us is by bringing us into his fellowship and intimacy. More than that, this means that Christ will stand beside us to be on hand when we need help. Ah, oh, that's good to me. That God, that Jesus will stand by us when we need help. See, if, if we're going to stand before God and be declared or presented as holy, that word just means to be morally blameless, then we need God, we need Jesus to present us. Watch this though. The word present can mean to stand beside us. Roger, Chair, come here. Y'all married. Come up here. Come on. Don't be scared, Chair. I'm not going to make you talk. It's not going to mean nothing. <laughs> so listen. When Pastor says that he stands beside us. He presents us. The only way that we're presented as holy and faultless and blameless is if Christ stands beside us. Roger, no, Cherif, you're going to be Christ. I don't want Roger to get no complex. <laughs> Cherif, you're going to be Jesus in this illustration, okay? So, as we go before the Father, God is going to judge us on everything that we have ever done. And as we stand before him, 
he's looking at us to see. I saw on September the, 30, the, the, the 30th that you had this happen in your life. What was that about? And as God is judging us, guess what? Come a little closer to your husband. Get closer to him. Jesus steps and he stands right beside us. And guess what happens? When he stands beside us, the, 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 I want us to see here that Christ gives God the Father double vision when he stands beside us. Because when he stands beside us, he no longer sees just us, but he sees his son standing next to us. And not only that, these two are married. Y'all can put your arm around each other. When he sees us, guess what he sees? He don't see us as just us, but he sees us as one who is purchased by the blood of the lamb and he sees the bloody righteous lamb standing beside us y'all gonna have a seat thank you so much listen when we look at believers in christ when he looks at us he doesn't just see us he sees a consecrated lamb without spot or blemish That's what the word faultless means. It it means there's no blemish or no spot on the inside of us. Listen, without Christ, we are at fault. Without Christ, we are full of spots and blemishes. More than that, without Christ, we stand accused before God. That's what the word blameless means. It means means to be unaccused, but without Christ, we stand accused before him. But when you get before the presence of Jesus, that old life of ours is like a fairy tale in a far, far away land where we begin to tell the story like once upon a time. See, we tell the story as once upon a time because God has done something in our lives through his son, Jesus Christ, that would never have been accomplished without his son. And listen, when we stand before Jesus, that once upon a time story that we tell, see, see, fairy tales, they all, they always end uh, with a good ending, right? Uh, and when they don't, they call it a tragedy. But see, the, the, the life that we have, it's a fairy tale life. Because at the end of our story, there is hope. When we stand before Jesus, there is hope. And I want us to see this in my last point here, uh, uh, that there's going to be hopeful times. See, in verse 23, Paul says, if indeed you remain. See, maturity in Christ, uh, maturity in life, means knowing how to remain. If we are able to stay with it, even when it seems tough, we will be mature. Let me help us. If we are able to stand the test of time, that is what marks our maturity. So many of the problems in our culture have to do with this. If you got a pen, write this word down. Write these words down. Instant gratification we want everything right now we have no sense of what it means to remain we have no sense of what it means to here's an old word for you to tarry still see when i came up in church we used to have tarry service 
where we would kneel down around the altar and pray. And we tarried there until the spirit moved us. Sometimes we would be there all night long. I was a kid and I hated it. But see, we don't have a concept or a category for that today. We want church, even though we only come once a month, to take only an hour because we got stuff to do. We want a 30-minute sermon with 15 practical points that we can immediately apply to our lives because we want instant results. We don't want to spend time letting the word soak over us. We don't want to spend time letting the word saturate us and and form inside of us something that, that the scripture says we don't know what we shall be, but we know that we will be like him. So we don't want to take the time to let the word saturate us and soak us. See, we want instant results. We want, we want to, uh, our children to obey us instantly. I want mine to. So I ain't mad at nobody. We instantly want our marriage to work without putting in any of the hard work of remaining through the pain of growth. Any growth that happens in your life, there has to be some pain that is attached to it. There has to be some discomfort that is attached to it. So if you are constantly running away from pain and discomfort, you will never grow. If you think that what you have is just on the other side, and if I could just run over to this side and forget about the pain over here, then I'll be all right. No, God wants to do something through your pain. He doesn't want that instant oatmeal stuff where you throw it in the microwave for 30 seconds. My five-year-old daughter can do that. God wants to, wants to pour you in the pot and let the water begin to bristle. He wants the water to begin to bristle, and then he wants to slowly add in the oats. And as he slowly adds in the oats, then he wants to pour in a little bit of cream, and then he wants to add in a little bit of whatever else you put inside of your oatmeal. I don't know what it is. I don't care what it is. But he wants to do something like that inside of your life. We don't want to lay down. Here's what this word uh, grounded means. We don't want to lay a foundation. We just want to see the high-rise luxury condos. If you live in Wilmington or work here, you'll see they're building up a lot of high-rise condominiums. They just announced that they're building a hotel down on the riverfront. Another one. (laughs) People don't even stay at the one that's there. (sighs) Let's build another one. Anyway. Uh, see, if you do anything around construction, like I know Brother Dave Jackson does, the most grueling part is laying the foundation. You got to pour the cement, but then you got to wait for that cement to set. See, that's what Paul means. When he calls us to be grounded. See, Paul understood that our growth and development 
was directly connected to our ability to lay the foundation. Let me get simpler than that. Paul understood that our growth and development was directly connected to our ability to stay connected to the ground. See, how, how, how much time have you spent on your knees waiting on God? How much time has your face been placed on the ground waiting for God to give you direction in your life? We don't want to do that stuff. We want it now. I know we all think that God has called us to be the next Beyonce or Mark Zuckerberg or Gary Vee, uh, but God is calling us. He's calling us to be King David, tending the sheep in the field, even though we had already been anointed as king. See, David was in the field tending to the sheep, and, and he was already appointed to be king. And as he was already appointed to be king, his father, his brothers were on the battlefield, and his father said, listen, go out and take your brother some sandwiches. They need something to eat because they're out there fighting. And as he was already anointed to be the king. He didn't have to go and take them no sandwiches. He's the king. But he understood that there was something about his service in the kingdom of God that would make him stand and last as a king. So if you are in Jesus today, I want to urge you that you must know what it means to serve in the midst of God doing something in your life. See, old preacher would say that waiting on God ain't just sitting there. Waiting on God is saying, how can I serve you today, Jesus? How can I serve you? your church how can i serve your wishes today how can i be of service to you let me wait on you jesus see that's what paul means by being steadfast you are able to remain firm in your present because you know what your future is See, you can stack chairs even when you know God has called you to sit on a throne. In fact, the word steadfast means to sit. How many of us are willing to sit until God moves? How many of us are willing to be sedentary until God moves in our life. But more than that, how many of us are willing to be immovable until God moves in our life? See, when things don't go our way, we start shifting and moving around and saying, I got to make this work for me because it's not working out how I want it to work out. Therefore, I've got to take a, a sovereignty and omnipotence into my hand and take it from Jesus because I'm a better God than he is. I'm better than he is at living my life and controlling my life. So let me just snatch that from him and let me live my life my own way and let me do what I want to do but how many of us can be immovable even when God doesn't appear to be moving in our lives I'll tell you who those of us who have hope see Paul says here if indeed you can remain grounded and steadfast in the faith and are not shifted Away from the hope. See, this shifting away, this word is only used one time in the New Testament, and I believe it's because Paul wants us to see the importance here of this hope. 
He wants us to see the importance of this hope that we have been purchased by and this hope that we have been reconciled through. He wants us to see this hope. So I want to spend my last several minutes talking about the hope. See, Paul talks about the gospel that we heard proclaimed in creation under heaven as the source of our hope. We know from creation that there is beauty and design that we know nothing about. Y'all know I watch a bunch of nature shows. There are parts of the ocean that are unexplored. We don't know what's down there. In fact, we couldn't even get down there if we wanted because the pressure would crush our lungs before we were even able to blink our eyes. So there are parts of the of the earth and there's beauty and design in the earth that we know nothing about. There's beauty and design and creation that we have no idea about. We still can't understand how molecules of hydrogen and oxygen can be combined together and produce drinking water. Ask a scientist how that happens. We don't know. Yet, there are landscapes across the globe that look as if a painter has hand-brushed it. See, we love to meet celebrities and artists, painters and all the stuff like that. We love to meet them. I ain't mad. But some of us, if Beyonce walked in here today, we would lose our minds. A little bit. I'll be up here trying to have church to Beyonce. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm sorry. Forgive me. But I want you to imagine being in the presence of the master artist. I want you to be in the presence of the one that Paul told us last week is the center of all creation. Everything that you see with your eyes, everything that was ever created, the rolling hills uh, of the mountains, the beautiful oceans, the the, the seas, the, the prairie lands, everything that you see with your eyes, those were all created by Jesus. That is our great hope. That one day we will be in his presence. And the scripture tells us that in his presence, there is joy forevermore. In his presence, there is no more sickness or death. In his presence, there is fulfillment of purpose. In his presence, there is no more suffering or sorrow. In his presence, there is no more fighting or feuding. In his presence, there is no more poverty or hunger. In his presence, we will have joy forevermore. And listen to this. The solution to our problems is not social help, but it is our Savior's hope. See, listen, he talks about the gospel here. The gospel you heard proclaimed through creation. And I love, I love Paul's response to this gospel. He says here at the end of verse 23, he said, this gospel has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and I, Paul, have become a servant of it. Paul understood that he was nothing without Jesus and that he was only executing commands from another. And we are called to be and do the same. We're called to be servants for Jesus Christ. I want to close with this. 
Barge, you can come. The great violinist, Licolo Paganini, he wowed with his marvelous violin proficiency to the city of Genoa. And he brought his violin on a condition that it must never be played. See, the wood of such an instrument, while being used and handled, only wears slightly. But when that same instrument, the same wooden instrument, is set off to the side, it begins to decay. See, Paganini's lovely violin has today become a worm-eaten, useless relic. And the same is true for us today. As we seek to serve Jesus Christ, we must know that as he uses us, as he handles us and uses us according to his purposes, we will only wear out slightly. But if we're just set aside, if we're just sitting on the sidelines, if we're just on, on the other side, not working, not being used of God, not being uh, used according to his purposes, then we will begin to decay. Our unwillingness to serve may soon destroy his capacity to use us. Don't be like this violin that would just set aside to view its beauty. Be a violin that displays the beauty on the inside of it by being used. Maybe you're in here today you don't have a relationship with Jesus one where he calls you to be used of him one where he calls you to have fellowship and relationship with him and to be reconciled to him see we were far off from God and God has called us in to relationship with him through the cross See, our sin, that deviant gene that we all have, our sin has kept us far away from God. But God is calling us to have relationship with him. And he will remove from us the sting of sin and death. And we can have relationship with him. We can walk with him. And we can be used by him. Is there one today who wants to trust in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross who died in your place who paid the ransom that the old song says we would never be able to pay is there one today who would place their faith and trust in Jesus is there one today who would place their hope in Jesus Christ knowing that regardless of what's happening in this life, there's a day coming where we will be with him. And when we're with him, everything will be once upon a time. Is there one?
Father, thank you. Thank you for your love, your kindness, your mercy. Lord, we thank you that you have redeemed us. And you've reconciled us to yourself. Father, I thank you for your love. I thank you for your love for your people, God. A reckless love that chases us down, that pursues us. Your love stalks us. God, may we never turn from your love. Father, I pray, Lord, for the rest of our gathering, Lord, as we prepare our hearts and minds for communion, Lord, that you would be in our midst. And Father, I pray, Lord, that you will be glorified among your people. And that as we seek to make history, we will know exactly what time it is. In Jesus' name.